the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. The person who rests his faith and confidence in Christ shall stand solid and safe and secure forever, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of the political situation, regardless of what government passes, regardless of whether society goes down the tubes, which it looks like it's doing. Regardless of that, you have an anchor. Your cornerstones remain sure and solid and safe and secure. Isn't that encouraging? It's thrilling. And that's what Peter wants us to see. This is what you are. This is what you have. I'm not commanding you to do anything. Your response is going to be based on who you are. Practice always follows position, as we stated this morning. The Christian life is putting into practice what God says you are positionally. That's what the Christian life is. The chief cornerstone brings stability into our lives. It should bring stability into their life. He can be counted upon and never disappointed. You know, I've known Christ now for, well, in a few months, it'll be 10 years. And I can honestly say, and I tell this to unbelievers, I have never been disappointed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we welcome you to our verse-by-verse radio program where we feature Pastor Steve Kreloff as our teacher. During the trials that come into our lives, all of us at one time or another have felt like giving up. However, our cornerstone is sure. You may feel like giving up. You may be unfaithful, and we are at times. Yet, God is faithful. He is our foundation. As we continue in our series on 1 Peter, we have more to learn about the trials that are part of the Christian life and how we are to respond. Pastor Steve is going to continue teaching in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So let's get started on today's lesson. The chief cornerstone selected for a building was large and it was solid. It's still large and it's solid. It's the principal stone on which the corner of the building rests. Under persecution, it is easy to fall apart. Under trials, all of us at one time or another have felt like giving up, felt like running away. But you know, our foundation, our cornerstone is sure. You may feel like giving up. You may be unfaithful, and we are. Yet he abideth faithful. He's the foundation. He's that living stone. He's that cornerstone that puts everything together. When you feel like you can't go another day, he's the cornerstone. And regardless of how you feel, he's there, solid and large and sure. I think last week the trio sang, We Have an Anchor, that in times like these, we have an anchor. Our anchor holds, and that anchor is Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is what puts everything together. Dr. James Dobson has written a book entitled something like this, Can You Trust Your Emotions? No, you can't trust your emotions, but you can trust that cornerstone. 
You can trust that he's solid and you have a part of him and he has a part of you. Peter quotes from Isaiah. Now it's interesting. He says, he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. The Hebrew, if we were to go back to Isaiah, which we're not, but the Hebrew says for the word disappointed, it reads literally, shall not make haste or flee. Lenski, who is a Lutheran commentator, very good one, says this, the one who must hurry away in flight does so because he's ashamed. This is the meaning in the Hebrew. The one who must hurry away in flight does so because he's ashamed. His misplaced faith ends in bitter disappointment, and he thus hastens to get away to hide. In other words, the person who rests his faith and confidence in Christ shall stand solid and safe and secure forever, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of the political situation, regardless of what government passes, regardless of whether society goes down the tubes, which it looks like it's doing. Regardless of that, you have an anchor. Your cornerstone remains sure and solid and safe and secure. Isn't that encouraging? It's thrilling. And that's what Peter wants us to see. This is what you are. This is what you have. I'm not commanding you to do anything. Your response is going to be based on who you are. Practice always follows position, as we stated this morning. The Christian life is putting into practice what God says you are positionally. That's what the Christian life is. The chief cornerstone brings stability into our lives. It should bring stability into their life. He can be counted upon and never disappointed. You know, I've known Christ now for, well, in a few months, it'll be 10 years. And I can honestly say, and I tell this to unbelievers, I have never been disappointed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never once. I have been disappointed in me many times. I have been disappointed in people. I have been disappointed in you as well as I'm sure you've been disappointed in me. But I have never once been disappointed in Jesus Christ. And I hope you can say that because if you're disappointed in him, something is wrong with you. He's one we can count on. I've not always understood God's ways, but the Bible says as for God, his ways are perfect. I don't understand it. And sometimes even when I go through the trial and I look back, I don't understand it. But remember what we studied last week, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It applies to this too. The secret things belong to our God. You don't need to understand trials. You don't need to understand what's going on around you. God never says in his word, now understand what's going on. He just says, trust me, the chief cornerstone. You don't need to get one. You've got one, God says. Now he says there's something else about this foundation, this stone. He's a living stone. He's a chief cornerstone. But he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus, the one who's rejected by humanity, is of precious value to the Christians. And because he's valuable, we're precious to God because we're one with him. But to those who reject him, to those who accept him, he's precious. To those who reject him, he's a rock of offense and a stumbling block. In verse 7, we read something. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. And the word precious could be translated honorable. This honorable or precious value then is for you who believe, but to those who disbelieve, to those who reject the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. It's interesting. It's a graphic picture. It's a picture of stones hewn out of the quarry and transported to be placed into a building. Each stone had to be cut precisely to the right size, cut to a designated size and shape to fit right into the appropriate place. The masons who chiseled the stones chiseled it as a square stone to fit right into the block upon block, fit together block upon block. The skill of the masons produced the building, made the building stand, but 
When they did this, there was one odd-shaped stone that was sent. One peculiar stone that was shaped in a triangular shape. It seemed when the contractors got it that there was no place for this stone. How could it fit in with this building? It seemed out of place. The contractors set this stone aside. They had no place for it. The building went up, but at the end, it became obvious they needed this stone. They needed this peculiar shaped stone to put right on the top. And that's another way the cornerstone had another effect in that it was placed on the top of an archway, and it was a kind of a keystone, a keystone and a cornerstone in Paul's day. They had put it aside, but it became obvious they couldn't complete the building. It wouldn't hold together unless they took that triangular form and shape and put it on there. And you see what Peter is saying? The stone that the builders put aside and rejected. And who's he speaking about? The leaders of Israel. Jesus quoted from that in Matthew chapter 21. And the Sanhedrin knew that he was talking about them. The stone that the builders put aside and wanted to build the building without. God says, that stone is precious. That stone is the chief cornerstone. That stone is the keystone. And you can't have the building without that. Israel has tried to build a building, tried to build a nation. Every religious church that simply names the name of Christ but rejects the word of God has tried to build a building but can't because the chief cornerstone has been rejected. He's been put aside. And when a person comes to Christ, they've got to see that it's obvious something is missing in their life. That chief cornerstone is missing. That's what they need. You can't put your life together without it. You couldn't build a building without it. And that's the background of this. The stone which the builders rejected, the contractors rejected it. This one became the very cornerstone. And this one, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A rock of offense. Those who don't believe are utterly smashed and broken by this stone. To you, he's precious. And isn't that something? You have to do something with Jesus Christ. You cannot just discard Christ. Humanity can't. You've got to do something. To us, he's precious. But when you don't accept him, he's a rock of offense. He's a stumbling block. The world at this time and your friends who are not Christians may seem self-sufficient, self-made, powerful at times, but ultimately they'll be broken. They'll be broken. They'll be smashed. Hopefully they'll be smashed and come to Christ the Savior. They'll be broken to the point of repentance, but otherwise eternally they'll be broken, separated from God in hell. You see, you have to do something about Christ You have to be faced with the issue of Christ. You have to either build your life upon this cornerstone or reject it. Now, it says something interesting. It says they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. Some believe that because of this, what God is saying is that God has ordained and appointed them to not believe. That's not what it means. God never takes responsibility when people go to hell. He only takes responsibility when people are saved. I believe, because the word of God teaches it, that God has chosen us from the foundation of the world. And sometimes people think election means this. God has ordained people to hell. No, everybody was on their way there because we're sinners. And God, because of his grace and sovereignty, and I don't understand it, and I don't even want to understand it because I'd only get you confused in trying to share it. But God, in his grace and mercy, has chosen some to be plucked out and some to be saved from eternity in hell. God has never appointed people to go to hell. God has only appointed people to be saved. God has done everything to keep people from going to hell. They go to hell because of their sins. God has not appointed anybody to hell. God has appointed some to heaven. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. Sin sends them to hell. But he says this word, offense. 
A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word scandalon, which is what we get our word scandal from. You know what it was? It means a crooked stick on which bait was fastened, which when the animal would strike against it, it would spring the trap and he'd be caught. Jesus Christ, Peter says, is like this trap. Men are attracted to him. Even unsafe people are attracted to Christ when they hear about him, either to believe or create some wild explanation of why they can't believe. Do you ever notice that? When you're faced with Christ, either you believe or you have to come up with all kinds of wild excuses and philosophical arguments and all kinds of things to say no. In other words, Jesus is like that bait. You get close and you've got to do something about it. You cannot just walk around it. It's a trap. Not a trap that's unfair, not something that sneaks up upon you, but something that's very fair and honest because God is a righteous one. God doesn't do things unfair, but he's like that trap. The Jews stumbled and they were trapped by his humble birth in his ways and his words and in their disobedience to the word. They stumbled, the Bible says, because they would not believe the word of God. It's not God's fault, it's their fault. So we see the foundation of the church and we're going to get back to something on that order, but we want to move on. The nature of the church is another truth about the church that'll really teach us who we are. Since Christ is the living stone and the foundation stone of the church, and we're one with him because Peter says that you've been born again by the word, you've been made one with him, or you have been a partaker of the divine nature, we become living stones. Look at verse 5. And you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This temple, as we said, isn't like the one at Jerusalem. The one in Jerusalem was made up of physical materials. This is spiritual. We are a spiritual people, not a physical people. We haven't been promised like Israel in the Old Testament for physical blessings, material blessings. If God gives that to you, fine. We've been promised and told we have all spiritual blessings. We are a spiritual people, not physical. This temple is not like the one in Jerusalem. This temple is made up of redeemed souls. For you were not redeemed, Peter says, with things like gold and silver, but you were redeemed, rather. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Redeemed souls, we're the temple. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We cannot deal with this passage without dealing with this. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what are the people around you saying? I want to get your feelings. Of course, he knew, but he wanted them to say. And they said, some say John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. By the way, we get some insight into that. This has nothing to do with this thing that we're dealing with First Peter. But it does give us insight of how Jesus conducted himself. If they were saying he was like John the Baptist and Elijah, obviously he had to act rugged, and he had to be very bold and very stern and very strong. But Jeremiah wasn't like that. Jeremiah was tender. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet. You put it together and you'll see that the picture that Jesus portrayed was tough and tender. But that's a little insight. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? What's your opinion? Who are you saying? And Simon Peter, this is the same Peter that's writing years later. He learns his lesson here. The Roman Catholic Church hasn't figured it out yet, but Peter knows and knew And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, it means, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Simon, you didn't just get this out of the air. It was revealed to you. You didn't just figure it out. And Jesus said that my Father 
who's in heaven has revealed this. And I also say to you that you are Peter. You are a rock. You are a stone. And upon this rock, you're a little stone, but upon this major rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, and we're not really going to deal with that so much, has tried to say that the rock is Peter, and that this shows that Peter was the first pope, and therefore that is their validity for pope and the succession of popes and so forth. Now, you can prove it, and we're not going to do it tonight, but you can prove it from Matthew 16 that that is not true. You can prove it from the Greek very easily. But even if you didn't have that, First Peter tells us that Peter didn't believe that. Peter knew that Jesus Christ was the rock, the foundation, not him. Do you think Peter was silly enough to believe that these references, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious stone, he who believes in him shall not be disappointed, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Do you think Peter, who said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, do you think Peter believed that this was him? That the scriptures were prophetic because of a fisherman from Galilee? No. Nobody believed it then. Everybody who heard that, and Peter especially knew that he was talking about Christ himself, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's the rock. And Peter says it here. He's the living stone, not Peter. Obviously, if the Roman Catholic Church, if they don't know it, obviously Peter knows it, and he's writing under the inspiration of God, and that's all we're concerned about. He goes on to say in verse 5, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Every believer is a priest. The Reformation brought this back. Martin Luther and the Reformers rediscovered this truth. We are priests. We have direct access to God. We don't go through anybody else except the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But when you accept him, you have direct access to the Father. We are a kingdom of priests. There's no longer any priests. It really is interesting how this ties in this whole thing with the Roman Catholic era. And yet Peter is explaining everything they really need to know if they would just study the scripture and see what God has said. We're priests. Priesthood of every believer. Not only, and we studied in 1 Corinthians, are you a saint? You're a priest. You're really getting to be something special. We're a temple and we're the priests in the temple. And he says that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, ask yourself, what is a spiritual sacrifice? Nowhere in this passage of Scripture does it say that, but the rest of the Word of God tells us. While you're turning to Hebrews chapter 13, let me tell you one spiritual sacrifice that we are and we can be. Romans chapter 12, God says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. How are we a sacrifice? Our body, we are sacrifices to God, which is your spiritual worship to him. We are the sacrifices, our bodies. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. God wants our praise. You may sit there and think, do you mean that God is pleased when I simply praise him? Yes. And you know what praise means? Praise doesn't mean that you go about all the time saying, praise the Lord. I'll never forget when I was a student at Moody, I got in the elevator with this fellow. He's a rather emotional fellow. And I believe his name was Ray, and everything he said to me was, praise the Lord. Everything. And I said, well, Ray, where are you from? And he said, Chicago, praise the Lord. And I thought it was very difficult to praise the Lord for Chicago. But it's right to do that. But everything, you know, that's the concept people have of praising the Lord, always saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you study the Psalms, which is where we get the praise of the Lord from, 
the psalmist always prays God for something God has done or an attribute of God. For instance, when I want to praise my son, I don't go around the house saying, praise Benjamin, praise Benjamin. And he says, I said, praise Benjamin. No, I praise him for something he's done or an attribute, something, a character quality he has. Let's say he's cleaned up his toy room. Benjamin, I want to just tell you I appreciate that. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Now, that's praising my son. That's acknowledging a character quality or something he's accomplished. It's different from flattery. When we flatter somebody, that has to do with something they have no part in, such as their looks, their athletic ability, something like that. That is flattery. But praise is an inward quality. And that's what the psalmist means, and that's what the Word of God means. Not to loosely say, praise the Lord, but to praise the Lord. David would say, God is gracious, I'm paraphrasing, God has been good and gracious to Israel. God delivered us from Egypt. God brought us to this land. God fed us. God took care of us. And then he'd say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, why did he pray? He praised God for his faithfulness, God's faithfulness. You praise God for something, not a loose praise the Lord. It's not what God's interested in. But here in verse 15, he says we ought to, a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Thanks for what? Thanks for what God has done. You are to be thankful all day long. When you go through those trials, you're to thank him. When you have rough experiences, you're to thank him. When you have great times, you're to thank him. I think it was R.A. Torrey who said the time to be thankful to God is after a great spiritual victory because that's when you're susceptible to Satan's onslaughts. You're to be thankful to God regardless of any situation that happens. Be thankful. Then he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, there's another way of giving spiritual sacrifice. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When we do good things and we share, God says that's a spiritual sacrifice. So here we see that we're priests in the temple and we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. That's the nature of the church. Why is the church here? To praise God, to offer up sacrifices, to be available to him. That's what the church is here for, not to occupy a place on Sunset Point Road. We're the temple, the priests, the sacrifices. No matter what the world thinks about you or me, this is what we are. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38, the Bible says that these men of faith were so persecuted, they were sawn in two, some of them, they were killed. And the Bible says these were men of whom the world was not worthy. They're not worthy of you. I don't want to puff your head up or anything, but they're not worthy of you. The world's not worthy of us, not because of anything we are, because of what God has made us. And that's why we're going to look at verses 9 and 10, the glory of the church. Another truth, the glory of the church The world may look down upon us as aliens, foreigners, strangers. You know what God says in verse 9? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what God says you are, people of God's own possession. We're valuable not because we're anything in particular, because we're owned by someone who's special. That's where the value is. It seems in our day and age around America, everybody is concentrating on saving America. I trust that God will bring us back to be a nation that loves him. I'm doubtful that we will ever return to that personally because I see in the Bible in the end times things will get worse and worse, but I don't want to be a prophet of doom. But you know, I don't read that in the word of God that God is preoccupied with saving nations. You know what I see in the word of God? That nations come and go. Not Israel now. But other nations come and go. God wants to further his kingdom. 
God is not preoccupied in that sense of saving nations. God is preoccupied in furthering his kingdom. We say when we pledge allegiance, one nation under God, we're not a nation under God. The only nation, and this is what Peter says, the only nation under God is really the church. Look what he says in verse 9. A holy nation. The only holy nation under God is not America, never has been totally, not Great Britain, never has been totally, not African nations that are coming to Christ, not Korea. The only holy nation under God is the church, period. There are holy people within another nation, but this is the nation under God, and this is the people that God is primarily concerned about. As we conclude today's verse by verse, we need to remember that the world may look down upon us as aliens, foreigners, and strangers. However, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is what God says we are, people of God's own possession. We're valuable, not because we are anything special, but because we are owned by someone who is special. That's where the value is. Now, I hope you've been encouraged by this series in 1 Peter and that you are already making plans to join us tomorrow for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.